along with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the And we didn't even know we were alive, but that's all right because we didn't hear any music. So I am here with um, Cody. I'm gonna say this right. Don't screw it up. Uh, Desbians. Correct. From the Taps Paranormal Team, and also uh, there is no wrong. Uh, and uh, also with um, uh, Rise Up Paranormal. Correct. Yes, yeah, I've got, got HDH here. I'm trying to listen to six things at once. All right, no, it's like, okay. All right, so he's working with it, and there's some having problems, but uh, it is what it is, you know. Yeah. So, anyways, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, how did you uh, first? Uh, oh, wait a minute. Is there any uh, any sites or anything you want to uh, give out there before we start, as far as if people want to see what you do and stuff? Sure. Well, uh, if you want to, you know, find each of the groups, uh, you know, the TAPS website's out there, probably easier just to uh, Google uh, the Atlantic Paranormal Society. And uh, my other team is Rise Up Paranormal. So uh, once again, easy, just search riseupparanormal.com and uh, that'll come up. I'm on Facebook, Cody Rydespians. Um And then if you just search my name in Google, you'll, you'll find a wealth of information. So pretty easy to find. Okay, there you go. And one question I did want to ask you, how did you get involved in two groups? So I, I think a lot of groups, uh, they frown upon that. Sure. Well, uh, so I, was a, I became a member of uh, Rise Up Paranormal uh, close to five or six years ago now. And um, <laughs> uh, Rise Up worked closely uh, with the TAPS home team, surprisingly. So, uh, and, you know, I was surprised to hear this. So, um, and, you know, it's not really talked about that much. So what, what happens is uh, a few members from Rise Up help TAPS out and a few members of TAPS help Rise Up out. And uh, they're kind of almost like sister groups now uh, just because, you know, we, we have uh, a lot of the same mentality, uh, you know, uh, looking into our investigations and stuff like that. Um, so we're in the same area. So it really just uh, helps both teams out. We, uh, you know, confer with each other. Um, and it's been it's been great ever since. Well, that's good. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I work with other teams as well. I mean, uh, very closely with uh, Josh Mantel from Berkshire Paranormal. I've known him for years, and but we're not members of both groups. So he is a member of mine, and I am a member of him. So uh, that part I find intriguing. So sure. if, if there's a if there's a conflict, what do you do? Uh, well, we we haven't come across that problem, oh, okay. um, but um, but you know, but the thing is, they're they're still two 
totally separate groups. And, you know, mm -hmm. Rise Up has its own cases. TAPS still has its own cases. And um, if, if I go on a TAPS case, I'm a TAPS member. If I go on a Rise Up case, I'm a Rise Up member. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, the talking, you know, conferring with each other kind of happens behind the scenes. Um, but, you know, it, it's still two totally separate groups. And, um, you know, they, they both groups handle their own cases primarily. And, um, and, you know, we just go from there, and it, it works pretty good. We have about three, three or so members that, that go back and forth uh, with each other, and then the rest of the team, um, you know, stays with Rise Up, and the rest of the team on TAPS stays with TAPS. Um, we just kind of help each other out. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I always was intrigued by that TAPS home team. I assume sure. that means that it's uh, the team that uh, uh, Jason and... Uh, um, Okay, I forgot his name. Grant. Uh, yeah, Grant found it. Grant? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> hey, Ann. Oh, Hi, yes, Cody. How are you? <laughs> Good. How about you? Hanging in there. Oh, um, yeah, I'm having so, a little connection problem oh, tonight, but I'm here. <laughs> well, glad yeah. you made it. You sound Thank terrible. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're loud and cracking my speakers. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I'll talk more quietly. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> or maybe, or maybe we can just have the station turn down the volume of your line. But anyways, moving right along, uh, we're with we're talking with uh, Cody uh, Desbian, and I, I almost said the other word. Uh, from, <laughs> from, He's gonna from kill Taps. it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, hey, at least I asked him how to say his name before I got on the show, which is pretty good since you know that most is. people like yeah, it's all right. So anyway. <laughs> So, how did you first get involved in the paranormal? What, what was your interest in it? Uh, well, like most people, uh, I had an experience when I was younger. Um, I was about, you know, around 10 years old. And, um, you know, I, I, was, I, I wasn't feeling that well that night. And I remember going into um, my parents' bedroom that night just because I didn't feel well and tried waking my parents up. I ended up um, spending the night in there. And I was trying to fall asleep. Uh, I woke up and I saw a bunch of men circling the bed. And really? uh, they were, yes, the bed was up against the wall. The headboard was against the wall. Um, these men, they were kind of wearing tribal attire. They were coming through the wall on the left side of the bed, kind of gliding around the bed, going in the wall on the right side of the bed, and then just kept going around in a circle. And um, that was that was like the first the first time I, I've, I've ever seen anything like this. And uh, you know, looking back on it now. Whether that was, you know, some sort of hypnogogic hallucination or lucid dreaming, or it was a paranormal experience, it it, it opened the door for me to, uh, you know, be interested in this. And then I just started reading everything I came across, uh, you know, that had to do with the supernatural and paranormal stuff. And um, really, it just, it just kept the ball rolling from there. Oh, that's kind of cool. So, I mean, how did you react when you saw this? Uh, well, you know, it's hard for me to remember. I don't remember being scared. I remember trying to wake uh, my parents up, and uh, they wouldn't wake up. And um, I don't know why that was. And I eventually, you know, it just ended up pulling the covers over my head and, and uh, forgetting about it, not looking again after that. Um, and then it never happened again uh, since that. But, you know, we've since moved out of that house. Uh, and then there was a few things that the whole family experienced. Um, you know, we would be on the first floor. And we would hear a dog running on the second floor back and forth down the hallway, and we didn't have a dog at the time. Oh. And, um, you know, we'd run up there as fast as we could, and there would be nothing there, and all the doors would be locked. Um, so strange stuff like that, little stuff. 
um, you know, I, I tried looking up the history of, um, of the property. I guess there was some sort of uh, coal digging project that was done in the area, um, but, you know, n nothing substantial within the region that the house was built on. We were the only uh, fairly new house. We were the only uh, occupants since it was built. It was about a 20-year-old house. And, um, you know, we, we since moved there. And uh, nothing in the new house, though. Oh, that's hmm. interesting. <laughs> oh, that's so, odd. Yes. And uh, so when you, so you had an experience, and um, so I guess that that would affect you in, on how you look at the paranormal. So it's you not so much uh, not believing in it, it's, it's, uh, what is what what is your involvement? I mean, how do you go into a case and you go? I mean, do you believe in the paranormal? I guess since you have this experience and you talk about it, that you, you believe it happened. Um, sure. Well, you know, the, the way um, I look at it this way: the way the, what I believe um, is, you know, I definitely believe that there is something after we pass on from this uh, this world. Um, but the way I look at an investigation uh, is more uh, of an observer, an unbiased observer. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there, there, was, there was another experience that happened that um, I don't think I've ever really talked about uh, on an interview before. Just oh, because, yeah. because uh, it's just, it, it didn't, I didn't find it necessary to, to talk about it because it didn't, uh, the replies that I would get wouldn't change the fact of what happened just because it's kind of out there. Um, but... You know, I, I went through uh, a rough a rough patch uh, in my life. You know, with uh, I was diagnosed with with uh, leukemia back in 2011. Okay. I, uh, I went I went through the treatment, had a bone marrow transplant in 2013, cancer free now, thankfully. Okay. Um, Thank yeah. But um, but during this process, there was uh, I, I had a port in uh, my chest. You know, where they put the medicine right. through and stuff, mm -hmm. and. Um, it was uh, January of, I believe, 2000, I don't know, 12 or 13, and, um, and I got a, uh, I had a fever for a few days. I was at home, and, um, you know, the rule is, it was my fault. They said, if you get a fever over 101, you have to call in, uh, and you have to come into the hospital. Well, I didn't want to go back to the hospital because I had just been there for, you know, four months straight, and I didn't want to yeah. go back, so I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. And uh, it just kept getting worse, and finally, by the third day, um, I told somebody because I, I knew something was wrong. So we went in, uh, they did the blood test, they looked at the port, and I ended up getting a, uh, a blood infection from, from the port. Oh. Um, it, it, it sometimes happens, it's, uh, mm -hmm. but they could have caught it earlier, so they immediately put me on a, you know, a, a cooling bed to drop my temperature. I think it was up to 106, some you know, outrageous number. Mm -hmm. And um, they needed to remove the port in the morning. Um, as soon as possible. So, so what happened was, um, you know, I was there. We got a blizzard overnight, and my parents are going to come in to see me before I went in to get the port removed. And um, they never made it because of the blizzard. They had to take me down. So that was on my mind all morning. And um, you know, they had told me. They said there is a you know possibility that when they pull the the line, since you have an infection, that it could clot and go to your heart. So, um, so, so that was, so I says, you really have to tell me that, uh, yeah, right. but, but anyway, so, so, um, so anyway, we go in and, um, 
at that time, they had a nationwide shortage of the drug that they usually put me to sleep with because I had had several bone marrow taps. You know, it's a routine thing when you have this right. type of uh, thing going on. And they all, you know, anesthesia was always fine with me, um, but they didn't have the one that they usually use, so they tried a new one. And by that time, I was allergic to every drug that was made. There was very few that I wasn't allergic to, um, and you know, seriously allergic to like anaphylactic shock and stuff wow. like that. So, so they had to do it. This is the drug of choice that they needed, and um, they did it. And I remember as soon as it went in, I, I, it was wrong. I knew something was really bad, and. Um, you know, I knew all the people down there because, like I said, I'd been down there several times doing these spinal taps and stuff. And, uh, they, you know, they became friends. And I just told, I would look up to them. I said, there's something wrong. And then I ended up just going out. And I remember them, you know, scurrying around. That was my last memory before mm -hmm. I fell asleep. And then I remember uh, something really strange happening. Uh, for one, one note is they didn't hook me up to a heart monitor, which was a big no-no. Um, yeah. And I remember, I remember having this big flash and um, you know, really, um, I guess I guess you'd call it a, a, a near-death experience. I just I remember big flash, and I was up in the corner. The only way I can describe it, I was up in the corner of the room, looking down on myself, looking at everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. And I could, and I could when I when I fast forward when I woke up, I could name all the steps that they did. I could name, you know, they pulled the Johnny down from the left side. There was only three buttons unbuttoned, and what mm -hmm. tools they grabbed in order and you know when I first was telling these people what had happened uh, they weren't believing me until I you know until I started telling them the, the steps that they went through and you know what tools and what they were talking about one guy got a new phone I remember him talking about getting a new phone yeah. and um, <laughs> stuff like that and I remember looking up and I remember looking down when I was up in this the corner of the room looking down at myself I remember looking down at myself and um, I was still wearing a Johnny I was and I couldn't really see my feet uh, and then another big flash happened. It was like if you turn the brightness really bright up on a TV. Uh -huh. And um, and I remember uh, seeing these people coming forward, and they were just waving, you know, a group of people. And there was a couple people that I recognized, you know, past family members, but the rest of them I had no idea who the heck they were. And they were just waving. And, you know, I was trying to wave back, and uh, I couldn't wave back. And, um, uh, you know, I, it seemed like it w this went on you know, forever. Uh, but then another big flash happened, and I remember gliding diagonally, and it was all black with red circles, gliding diagonally back down into the, the stretcher. And, um, and I remember becoming conscious again, but I couldn't move, I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes. And I remember hearing uh, my mother's voice, you know, talking to the doctors, asking why I wasn't waking back up. And, and um, slowly I started, was able to move my fingers again. It took like about an hour, I guess, for me to, you know, be able to start talking. And once I was able to say a couple words, um, you know, it, it was, it slowly came back from there on. And I remember being awake for like two days straight because I couldn't believe what had just happened. And, um, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was unbelievable. And I just wouldn't talk to anybody about it. And, um, I still don't really talk about it that much, but, but since that, that experience, um, no one's really asked me that question before. So since that experience, I, I definitely know that, uh, that there's, there's something after this, this world, um, but the way I approach an investigation is, um, 
is uh, more of a, uh, a data collecting approach, I guess. Right, more of a reporter. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. You know, it's interesting, Cody, because I have uh, some experience. I'm like you. I, I never had any paranormal experiences when I was young or anything. It was when I was much older, and I, I believed I had a near-death experience that got me involved in it. Uh, so that's what we looked at it. But I, I actually had a, a, a strange experience. Uh, I've been ill for the last uh, few days, and I fell asleep. Uh, yesterday and the day before on the couch, and when I woke up, I'm very, I remember all my dreams, I'm very good with dreaming and, and dealing with experiences, but those were two of the most frightening experiences that I ever had, because there was nothing there. Waking up from it was like, it was just total darkness, there was like nothing, it was uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. it. Was to me, it was like death. Like I don't know. It, it was the weirdest thing I ever had. It, and and it and to me, it was a little bit frightening in that I, I just didn't want to go back to sleep because it it just was so strange. And yeah. and the, and the opposite from the other one. The other one that uh, since I've had it, I've never feared death. Uh, you know, it's uh, one of the the things I always talk about. One of the the yep. the, the Feelings I had in my near-death experience was a, a warm, comforting feeling, like the line from uh, McDonald's, like a prayer. It felt, <laughs> yep. felt like it felt like home, and, sure. and that's the way I felt. So I've never felt uh, been afraid of death at all. Uh, but this was uh, terribly uh, disturbing, and I have no idea what it was. But uh, it's funny how we have these experiences, and sometimes has an impact on our life. Uh, so. Your, your near-death experience, uh, I'm sure, has pushed you uh, in, a, in a certain direction, and, mm -hmm. and maybe maybe that is for a reason. Absolutely, and I, I can relate to the not being afraid of dying or anything because I remember when that happened, I, I felt, you know, at, you know, I guess at peace and you know, fine with everything that was going on. I just I couldn't understand why everybody was just waving and looking at me like that. Uh -huh. um, but uh, it definitely, you know, from that point forward it definitely um you know changed my views on things and then just having it backed up with evidence that i've collected you know over the years and stuff like that it's just it's it's it's, it's like a second nature now you know um there's definitely something after this world so you go into these and and i'm sure you hear all kinds of uh stories when you do investigating i, I know i have and, and yeah, years oh, yeah. i've been doing and so, do you still have a, an open up mind, even though some of them sound so ridiculous? Uh, well, I've learned not to, you know, discount anything that's been said. I mean, you know, there there is stuff that that sounds really ridiculous. I mean, and there's some stuff that that you know, it just it just sounds unbelievable. Um, but you know, I I kind of take everything. I listen to what what the client has to say. And um, we all do. And, um, you know, we, we not take it with a grain of salt, but, um, you know, keep it in the back of our minds while we're doing our investigation. And, um, and you know, just, just see if we can offer some sort of education because, you know, fear, fear is, a, is a lack of knowledge. So we want to make sure that, that you know, we, we, we're able to uh, find some sort of explanation, whether it's normal or paranormal, um, 
to, to help them out. We want to make sure that, that they feel comfortable in their own home uh, because that feeling of not being uncomfortable or frightened in the place that you're supposed to feel safe in is terrible. And, um, you know, just, just the trust for, for us to be in there, uh, we respect that a lot. And um, so we take what they have to say um, kind of to heart and, um, and just uh, go on with our investigation uh, with keeping what they have to say in, in our minds. You know, when you complete your investigation, and, and I know it's kind of hard for me to ask this question because you're on two different teams, so I don't know how each one might be a little different on how they, they do it. But uh, when you complete an investigation and you've gone through whatever data you've collected, what do you present to the, to the homeowner? Do you tell them their house is haunted? Do you tell them who is there? Do you tell them, I mean, how, how do you do your present presentation? Sure. Well, uh, you know, pr both the groups are pretty much uh, the same as, you know, investigation techniques and, and data collection and presentation and stuff like that. Um, but you have to keep in mind that there is a there's a huge difference between something being paranormal and something being a haunting. Um, and, you know, a good example, you know, if you, if you have a glass, if you see a glass, you know, slide across the counter and, and smash against the wall. That's something paranormal. You can't explain as to what, what just happened. But if you see, you would, you would have to see a ghost or a spirit do, do that. You know, mm -hmm. take the glass and slide it across the counter and see it smash. You'd have to see a spirit do that for it to be, you know, a haunting. Um, so we, when we present our evidence, and, you know, keep in mind that that evidence of the paranormal is rare. Uh, and you, you know this. The evidence of the paranormal, hard proof is rare. Um, so we always like to offer some sort of rash. We look for, obviously, look for some rational explanation as to what's going on. But the rare times that we do collect evidence, um, we present it as, as we find it. Uh, rarely do we say that a house is haunted uh, mm -hmm. unless we can uh, undoubtedly prove that it is, which, again, is extremely rare. Um, but, you know, we, we basically just show them um, what we captured, uh, you know, on paper and, uh, you know, on, on, on the computer, whether it's audio or video or, you know, strict numbers from uh, data collection devices and, um, and let them see it for themselves and make their own conclusion. We're not going to conclude it for them. I mean, they've lived there, you know, for so many years. We were only there for a couple nights. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes we do get called back to a, uh, a location, but uh, usually... At the end of our, every investigation, uh, we do uh, what's called a, uh, we set the ground rules with the clients. We usually call the clients into uh, a, a room that they spend most of their time in as a family and just have them state the rules of their home and, um, you know, what, what they want. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just kind of talk. We, you know, we tell them it's going to sound strange, but just uh, have a conversation. Um, it's going to sound like you're talking to thin air, but... Tell them uh, maybe you can make a compromise. You know, you can come out when we're not home. Um, please don't scare the kids. You, know, you might not be trying to scare them, um, but you you are. And uh, usually that works. Uh, give them that empowerment. And uh, we usually don't hear back from them. We we check up on them, and they say everything's going pretty well. Um, so that, that's really that's really how we do our our thing. And you know, mm -hmm. everybody does things differently. And if it works for them, that's great. I respect that. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a numbers kind of guy, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, 
the intriguing thing is is that we have had them cases and we really uh, haven't found anything, but we will present that to whoever they okay, this is we've gone here, we've been this period of time, we've done this, we've done this, and, and we really don't have anything that we can tell you that uh, is happening and, and uh, you know, and, and present to the, the uh, client. And unfortunately, uh, some clients will uh, say, well, you guys can't be good if you didn't buy anything. And it, but, oh, sure. Yeah, but you know yourself that, uh, you know, spirits or ghosts or, or whatever uh, doesn't, they're not trained monkeys. They don't go on command. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and, and my belief, and this is only my belief, is I believe a lot of times that paranormal experiences are really meant for the person who experience them and not for someone else. And Very that's, true. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I believe so because usually they're, they're I, I mean, in most cases that we found, they're usually there for some sort of reason. And, um, you know, why talk to somebody who um, is not going to resolve their reasoning for being there uh, makes sense, I guess. Um, you know, but you know, I agree with you. Usually, I mean, some people, uh, you know, if you, if you don't say what they want to hear, they're going to move on to the next team on the list right. um, until they right. find a team that's going to tell them what they want to hear. Uh, you know, which which is unfortunate, but you know, we found that um, you know just that that ending session, you know, that we do, whether we found evidence of the paranormal or not, um, you know, that that empowerment at the end of an investigation with having them do that psychologically helps a lot, also, mm -hmm. uh, whether if there's anything going on or not. And um, you know, I mean, of course, Halloween time and you know the fall time, oh, you know, we yeah. get an uprise of calls, you know, because of <laughs> Uh, everything on television and stuff, so um, so that usually helps out a lot. I think a lot of it is you know has to do with psychology and stuff like that. Um, so I think I think in that aspect of an investigation, um, you can help out a lot just by going in and having a presence. Yeah, no, it, it, I found it funny when you were talking about it because you were a member of, of uh, Taps Home Team. But when the Ghost Hunters first came out on TV. Uh -huh. The big thing in the beginning is they would go and they would tell you whether they were haunted or not. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. 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 So it's kind of was uh, against what that was against. But that's, that's sure. TV. Do you, it, it's got to be, well, whatever. I don't want to get into it. Way, but <laughs> we, have to, actually, we have to take a break. So that ends that question right there. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with poor Ann somewhere out there. And... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, Cody uh, Desbian of uh, TAPS Home Team and also uh, Rise Up Paranormal uh, right here on Tojanet and Parallax. We'll be right back after the following messages. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. 
The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, Mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. guest this evening, Cody Desbien. Did I say that right? Yeah. Great job, Ann. All yeah. right. <laughs> Trying to talk quietly so I don't blast everybody's eardrums out. Yeah. Is well, it working? <laughs> you'll have to update your uh, whatever Skypes or whatever to it's, get there. Yeah, it's, it's more than, it's something complicated. I don't, I can't cloud uh, the cloud and Comcast and I don't know what's going on, so cloud, whatever. <laughs> it's very odd. Anyway, so we, yeah, we've been speaking with uh, Cody uh, Desbian of uh, Chaps Home Chaps. Team and also Rise Up Paranormal, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> we're getting into a, a lot of interesting things. Uh, Can I ask so you a question? Th- oh, please do. <laughs> I, I feel like crap, you know, I've been sick for the last few days. I'm like, oh, I hope he had carries the show today. And it's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, what do you what do you feel is maybe your most unusual case that you've you've worked on for either team? Um, well, um, not so not so much unusual, but uh, eye opening, I guess. Um, really, to figure out, you know, I guess put things in perspective. Um, we we did a private uh, taps case, client case. Uh, in Massachusetts, and it was a family's home. And, um, you know, when when we're, you know, um, sent these cases, you know, we, we get sent an email by the uh, the lead, and, you know, it's usually a, a report about what's going on, some of the claims that she received uh, on her one-hour interview with the, with the client. And um, we're briefed a little bit about that. And when we arrive, you know, we go over the report with the clients as a team, and uh, we had known that um, the family had lost a daughter to an accident. Uh, she was uh, in her uh, mid-20s. Uh, we didn't know how or when, uh, but we just know that they had lost a daughter 
and uh, they of course they had another daughter or sister uh, to the one that uh, tragically was lost and um, but they didn't believe that she was the one that was in the home uh, because activity was going on before she had passed um, so they went over the claims and one of the claims was they saw a gentleman that would uh, pass at the bottom of the stairs uh, back and forth almost like a, a shadow figure type uh -huh. entity and um, so being uh, you know I guess the the tech guy I, I went up to uh, the top of the stairs I was gonna set up uh, my full spectrum camera pointing down to hopefully catch something um, that possibly could be there so I was on one knee uh, changing the settings in the camera and um, two of the female investigators were on the second floor same as me down the hall uh, talking amongst themselves about uh, just catching up, nothing to do with the case, because uh, they haven't, hadn't seen each other in a while. And uh, um, I wasn't really paying attention. I was focusing on the camera. We were there in October of 2015. And um, I heard what I thought one of them say, are we going to be there September 10th? And that caught my attention because we were there in October, and I was wondering why we were booking something out a year in advance. So I, I spun around. I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? And, you know, of course, they had the blank stare. You can kind of see where this is going. We went back and forth for a while. Um, keep long story short, um, you know, we, have, we, we all trust each other. And, you know, I, I trusted them when they said that neither of them said September 10th or anything to do with September 10th. Um, but I was looking for some rational explanation as to why I had heard that. Um, so, you know, for the heck of it, they yelled down to one of the investigators on the first floor to ask the family if, if that meant anything. And, um, of course, he came in with that blank stare, and that happened to be the date that the, the daughter had passed away. She was oh, in wow. Boston uh, getting, ready back, getting ready to go back to college, and she asked her boyfriend to um, take her to uh, a tall spot so she could get some pictures of the sunset. So they went to the top of an abandoned building in Boston, and um, she unfortunately fell through an uh, air conditioning oh. duct on the roof oh, and um, landed in a room with no windows and no doors. It took the firemen, I guess, like 10 hours to get to her. Um, but the strange thing was, uh, you know, they said that she passed away you know, instantly, mm -hmm. um, but the boyfriend claimed that he was able to talk to her for a good 10 minutes. Um, and she was saying like she was okay and stuff like that. Um, so, but once again, they didn't believe that she was the one that was there. So one of the things I always do when I go into a, a home is I always have one recorder that I, re that I turn on as soon as I walk through the front doors and then I turn it off right when I walk out. Uh, and it's running the whole, you know, six or so hours that were there. And, um, I remember that when I climbed up to the top of the stairs to set up the camera, I put the recorder down about halfway up, and um, I knew if I heard something, it would be on that recorder. So as soon as I got home, I sped it up to that spot, and uh, you can hear a, uh, you know, that, a whispery voice, typical EVP voice, saying September 10th. Uh, it wasn't the same voice that I heard with my own ears, but you can definitely hear September 10th in... Uh, in the recording, which was really, which was really cool, and um, that one was a little difficult to present to the client uh, mm -hmm. just because of the situation and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but that was really an eye-opening experience. Like um, like Ron was saying earlier, 
um, you know, why did I hear that? Was was it because I was around the same age that she passed away uh, at that time? Um, I, I don't know. It was why why did I hear it and nobody else? So um, it's it's interesting. It was definitely eye opening. That's amazing, and that is yeah. also a, a great idea with the voice recorder. And I do that a lot too because honestly, some of our vet best EVPs have happened during SAP at the very beginning, the very end. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I agree. My absolutely favorite EVP was uh, happened on one of those. We, were, we had set up the recorder. We started setting up the equipment, that, and it went off and, and on the recorder. It is not a class A, but it is a, a very good EVP that says, it's the Ghostbusters. <laughs> wow. So it's absolutely wow. my favorite. Uh, but anyway, uh, I wanted to mention that you, we, we talk, you talked about it a little bit in, in what you were saying, that the voice you heard wasn't the same as on the recorder. There are a lot of times where you will hear something, and yet it's not recorded. And there are other sure. times, like EVPs, where they're recorded, but you don't hear anything. Sure. What do you think? That, I mean, I, I, for instance, we, we did this uh, investigation with Mark Nesbitt out in Gettysburg. We went to the, this train place, and I was doing an interview with the uh, manager of the place in the front, and Maureen and some of the other people were in the, in the back where all the engines were. And this is a video uh, video interview, and yeah. all of a sudden we heard this huge bang. I mean, it was monstrous. Everybody, you can see me, I stopped right in the middle of the interview, and everybody ran to what was happening. But when we came back and we played the videotape back on that, there was no sound whatsoever. But yeah, every single person heard it there, and it was like, you know, just like a small bang. It was a monstrous bang, and yet it wasn't recorded. What do you think that, that is, uh, Cody? What, any sure. ideas? Sure. Well, well, if I may, I, I, I think it would be a better understanding if, if I explained a little bit about um, what, what I actually think, you know, how these sounds are recorded. Okay. Um, so I, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of, I, I mean, I'm the type of person that loves to figure out how things work. If I, if I get a piece of equipment, I, I tear it apart and, you know, see if it really does what, what the Spice seller is saying that it does. Yes, that, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I tend to stay away from the typical um, equipment sites and stuff like that because I think a lot of it is nonsense. Um, but uh, as far as audio, I've I really focused a lot of my research into audio and uh, EMF uh, primarily. And, um, you know, there's always been this debate if, uh, you know, analog is better than digital and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And um, that's been one of the questions I've been um, hoping to answer for myself. Um, so what we know, uh, EVP, you know, what is an EVP? Well, as we know it now, is, is it's this another voice that we capture on audio um, that, you know, wasn't a, a human presence there. Um, but I want to know how, it's, how, it, how they're created, how they're recorded. Mm -hmm. uh, which has been a big question. So um, what we do know is that, um, now I'm just talking about EVPs, we know it's not an acoustic sound because mm -hmm. we would hear it with our own ears, right? Right, right. So um, we also know that these uh, examples of EVP have been recorded for decades on multiple different formats mm -hmm. from, you know, reel-to-reel, -reel, cassettes, and then now digital. And um, which, which, what is really perplexing is that the way analog recordings are made is drastically different than the way digital recordings are made. So how can this 
uh, unexplained phenomena be uh, impacting on two totally different recording techniques. Um, but then it occurred to me that there's really only one thing that hasn't changed over the years, at least in principle, is uh, the record the uh, microphones themselves. They you know they they basically stay the same. There's two basic types of microphones: a condenser microphone and a dynamic microphone, and um, you know those really haven't changed. So now um, we need to figure out some sort of natural energy source that can affect both types of microphones. Uh, it can travel in complex waveforms, just like audio can, but yet, uh, well, it's, it has to reach the same frequencies as the human ear can hear in, but not be heard by the human ear, which is really a, uh, a long list of things that needs to be checked off. But then it occurred to me that electromagnetic energy can fit the bill with all of these points. It can travel in complex waveforms, reach the same frequencies as the human voice and the, the frequency range that we can hear between 20 and 20,000 hertz or 20 kilohertz, and, um, but yet not be heard by the ear. So to put this to the test, um, you know, I, I went to a trade school. I took classes on uh, electronics, and my major was in uh, woodworking and carpentry. So uh, once I, I graduated, I, I, for fun, I, I built electric guitars. And um, I know how you know, electric guitars work, and, you know, they have this magnetic coil, magnetic pickup, and that's how, when you know, when you hit the string, the magnetic pickup, the coil creates a volt, a voltage that travels through the line and out the amp. So you have a, uh, a magnetic pickup there. So what I thought was, and this is a lot like a dynamic microphone. Uh, dynamic microphones have that magnetic, co uh, a copper coil within a magnetic field that vibrates, creating the voltage, a lot like uh, the pickup in a guitar. So what I did was I plugged the guitar into the headphone jack of the amp, and I played music through the input. So now the input, instead of sound going into the coils, vibrations going into the coils, vibrations were now coming out of the coils. And, uh, of course, I couldn't hear any of the music because it was electromagnetic vibrations. Um, until I held the dynamic microphone up to the guitar, you can hear the, the music clearly, perfectly. You can hear it up to a foot away from the coils. So that leads me to believe that most examples of EVP is uh, examples of direct communication through electromagnetic waves uh, within the voice frequency, but yet not heard by the human ear, which would explain that... Um, why, why one recorder could pick this up, yet another recorder two feet away wouldn't pick it up is because if EVP is an electromagnetic wave communication, then we should be able to detect that. Um, and since it is, if, theoretically, if it is an electromagnetic communication, it would be very condensed into one area, uh, which proves with, with that experiment so um, you should be able to pick this up with a sensitive EMF detector. Um, but, you know, I, I don't have all the money in the world, and uh, an EMF detector that's that sensitive, that can data log, would be, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think the perfect experiment would be to place one of these high-tech uh, sensitive EMF detectors next to a recorder, uh, you know, I mean right next to it and, um, you know, document it to see if there's some sort of transient condition if an EVP and when an EVP is recorded on the, on the recorder. Uh -huh. Now this, Cody, this Cody, that is, 
the most brilliant thing I have ever heard. Mm. Sorry, a little a little long winded there. <laughs> no. It's okay. No, it's like you explained it so well. It's, oh, it's well, thank brilliant. you very much. Thank it's you. It's a great, a great experiment. Yeah, you know, uh, my my co-host for uh, Ghost Chronicle International, Steve Passons, uh, is parapsychologist in the UK. He's okay. written a book on uh, paracoustics. Sure. And uh, he has uh, done a lot of work on, in fact, he's probably the foremost authority on infrasound in the, in the, in the, uh, the world, actually. Uh, Ooh, so, yes. uh, but there are... He, some of the things he talked about on that is like placing uh, recorders in uh, Faraday cages and sure. and also uh, lead lead lined boxes like okay. uh, you know pretty much like a microwave oven where you you're blocking uh, not not microwave excuse me that would be more like a Faraday cage but uh, sure. a lead lead lined box where so if the spirit was actually manipulating a recorder then. Uh, you know, it, it wouldn't be getting any interference from anything sure. else. So it, would it would be would blocking be, it out, right? Right, yeah. Yep. So, uh, what's your thoughts on that? So, um, so I think a lot of what we consider uh, examples of EVP to be today, a lot of the stuff that's being presented, is really uh, acoustical sounds that aren't being heard at the time. And uh, the way, uh, you know, analyzation is really key. And uh, a lot of, I, I guess, 80% of the stuff that's being put forward um, probably really isn't uh, a true EVP. Uh -huh. It's probably uh, either a noise that was made in the environment during the investigation, uh, that sounds like a voice that we just didn't hear, or we heard it and forgot about it, or it's a living person that we just didn't hear during the investigation. Uh -huh. So a couple of steps that I've taken uh, to kind of cancel some of the stuff out is uh, during analysis, um, you know, I, I run all of my stuff through a spectrum uh, spectrum analysis and um, let's and a uh, voice analysis software. So, if myself and uh, and you guys are, are both in a room with me doing a session, um, you know I can take that session, put it into the software, and it will assign each of our voices a color. And um, you know throughout the whole recording, uh, whenever we talk, that color will move with our waveforms. And if we have a third voice there. Um, it'll assign its own color if it's a different voice than either of ours. Let's say one of us whispers. It'll still yeah. recognize the phonetics of each of our voices because all of our voices sound different. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll, it'll be able to tell if it was accidentally one of us or if it was accidentally an investigator on the first floor. If we put a, a sample of their voice into the software, they'll be able, it'll be able to recognize it. Um, but, you know, like I was saying, I, I think a lot of the true EVPs that are captured, um, you know, uh, well, I guess a lot of the EVPs that they think are true EVPs really aren't EVP at all. I think there really is, the, a lot of them are just acoustic sounds that uh, just weren't recognized at the time. Uh, they're pretty much audio pareidolia, too. Absolutely, absolutely. And you have to remember that the human ear can only hear between 20 and 20 kilohertz. Each of our ears... Uh, we can pick up sound differently. Some people hear better than other people can hear. So there are sounds that are going to happen 
that some people will hear and some people won't hear. Like children, for example, you know, as we grow older, our ears develop. So children have a broader spectrum of audio. And as they grow older, that spectrum narrows. So children can hear things better, a lot better than adults can. And, you know, as we grow older, some people lose their hearing and some people maintain a perfect amount of hearing. And that goes the same with sight. Um, so I think uh, a lot of it, like you said, is par uh, pareidolia. Um, and it also is just a simple fact of uh, you, could, you, can't, you can't hear it. Um, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's tough to uh, really prove uh, an EVP these days. Yeah, well, not according to Facebook. <laughs> you got that right. I think the vi if you really want to do this seriously, I think you really need to control your environment extremely, extremely closely. Um, you know, I, you need to find like a, a, a soundproof room in the middle of a desert. You know what I mean? Right. Um, if if you want to really get deep into this, um, mm -hmm. and you know, EMF research is the same. I mean, we're being bombarded with different EMF sources these days, and okay. um, that's a that's another thing that's hard to maintain. But, you yeah. know, there have been a couple instances, like I was talking about that experiment earlier, where I've placed, the you know, one of the best sensitive recorders that is affordable that I can get my hands on mm -hmm. uh, next to a recorder. And there are two times that I've captured what I consider to be an EVP, you know, that the baseline of EMF has changed drastically. Um, when, at the precise time that the EVP is captured. And one of the big things that, um, that you have to remember to do is make sure that all of your equipment, that data log, is uh, linked up as far as time uh, to make sure oh, yeah. the time is programmed uh, exactly into each device that you're using, all the recorders, even if they're not all your recorders. I, I think everybody, like some people, when they change the batteries in their recorders, they hurry up and push push the button so they can get going. And, you know, it says 2012. Um, right. And it's just, you just need to take those extra steps because it's going to pay off in the long run uh -huh. uh, when you're doing analysis. You, you want to be able to back things up in as many ways possible. Uh, temperature is another big thing. I think that's probably one of the main things that should be monitored more on an investigation. That's not. Right. Yeah, we use, we use temperature tags on, on a lot of our investigations. Sure. We have the log, a temperature log, and so we have a log of the temperature at all times. That's um, right. One of the things I, I did want to talk about is you have things like the hack shack and and cases <laughs> like the the uh, whatever they call it, yeah. the, the flashlight as well. And it, you know, sometimes you know people swear by these. They say, oh, "Okay, we, yeah. I've got this great communication." Blah blah blah. I got this from it. You, are you really only getting a sample of what's going on that they present? For instance, you can have a flashlight on, it can go on to the thing, and you ask a question, you keep asking a question, eventually the flashlight will go on or off, and then say, see, I've got an answer to my question. But, yeah. uh, it, it, you know, sometimes it, it's more uh, changing the conditions. Sure. Uh, that it's also even, even the radio. I mean, we talk about that where you pull in words from the radio frequencies and stuff like that. Is yeah. that is that true spirit communication? And if it is, then what exactly? How does that work? How does that precisely work? Well, 
I have no idea if it is because there's way too many uh, normal explanations, normal variables that it could be, uh, right. which makes it extremely hard to tell if it is. Uh, I, I, there is absolutely coincidences that could happen when using these types of um, communication techniques, and um, you know that right there makes it hard to determine if it is or isn't a true communication. Um, I think I think they need a lot of work, um, just because, like I said, there's just so many variables as to what it could be. Um, you know, uh, I think some of them you can improve a little bit, uh, like that Estes. Estes method there with the with the spirit boxes. I mean, I don't use spirit boxes that much. I, just, I like things that record data. But, yeah. um, mm. but that Estes method where you you place headphones, you plug headphones into the uh, the the spirit box and um, you know set aside one person and you know blindfold them or whatever and have them listen to the headphones and have somebody else ask the questions and if that person listening with the headphones hears an, uh, a word, they think they hear a word, either to say it out loud. And then if that answers the question that was asked, then mm -hmm. I don't know. That that's, that seems a tiny bit more than a coincidence, I guess. But you know, you still could have coincidences. Well, um, why, not, why not record the record it? That's sure. Yeah. So so what we've done when we've done this is we've plugged a um, uh, a real time recorder. So a recorder that you can still you can listen you can record while listening live uh, you mm -hmm. can plug headphones in and listen live and what we do is we take a eighth inch jack and plug it in plug one into the microphone jack on the recorder and then plug it into the headphone jack on the spirit box and mm -hmm. then plug the headphones right into the recorder itself so the whole spirit box session is recorded um but they're still able to listen live um right. in the room you know what i mean yeah, it's, yeah which that's um yeah, so, so uh, then, you know, if the uh, recorder has the correct time on it, then, uh, and then we also have a recorder recording all the questions, then you can sync them up perfectly uh -huh. and uh, see if there's some sort of answer. Um, interesting. Hmm. Anyways, that's the doorbell, which means pizza from the dentist here. We've got to wrap right. it up. Mm. <laughs> that went by fast. It was. It it was intriguing, and, and I especially like the second half of the show where you were talking about the audio. I'm going to have uh, Steve Parson tune in on that. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, anyways, oh, you guys have you. great conversations. Yeah, we've, <laughs> oh, we've, been, I'd love speaking, to. we've been speaking with uh, Cody uh, Desbian of uh, Rise Up Paranormal and, and Capstone Team, and we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much. It's been, it's been intriguing. Also for sharing... Uh, your personal stories at the beginning of the show. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Great, great to great to hear from you. Thanks, Ann. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for helping me change my tire too. <laughs> oh, you're, you're very welcome. Anytime. <laughs> Not only can he investigate ghosts, he can change tires. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. All right. So I guess we're gonna wrap. Any any anything come up for you, uh, Cody? Ah, uh, well. The, the winter's kind of slow, but, um, you know, we have the regular client cases uh, every weekend. But we do have some uh, – I will be doing a couple of kind of like tech talk events with um, Dustin Perry. Uh, that's going to okay. come up to be announced So uh, for the new year, new year, exciting new year ahead of us. And, and if people wanted to get information on it, how could they find it? 
Sure. Uh, well, you know, Facebook is the best way. Uh, everything's mm -hmm. on there. So if you just yep. search my name uh, on Facebook, uh, that would probably be the best bet. Well, I'd just spell it because I might. Sure. So uh, Cody, C-O-D-Y, and Ray, my middle name, R-A-Y, last name, Despian, D as in dog, E-S, B as in boy, I-E-N-S. Well, thank you very much, Cody, and uh, it, it was an interesting night. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I love having conversations. All right, great. Awesome. awesome. So, and uh, and all our listeners, uh, if uh, we don't get the chance to see you, and we won't before Christmas, we're going to say uh, Merry Christmas and uh, have a Happy New Year. Yes, Merry Christmas, everybody, and thanks for listening to all us and putting up with our shenanigans and just having fun. <laughs> dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good luck.